What's up, Energy Fam? This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. Awesome. Everybody, welcome back. Well, to another episode. Thanks for tuning in here. I'm in with Calvin Holt, co-founder and CEO of Drill Docs. Calvin is an oil and gas professional with over 35 years of industry experience working for companies such as Weatherford, Tesco, Chevron. Uh, Calvin, welcome to the show. You've got a beautiful background, which is much better than mine. If you're listening on audio, you can't see it, but Calvin came prepared. He's got his Drill Docs shirt on. He's got the background. And you're, you're ready to hit the road here, aren't you, man? Thank you. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, my background, I can't take credit for that. that I'm at the Access uh, Communications Experience Center here down in City Center, Houston. Beautiful. Actually, I've spent quite a bit of time in City Center myself. Uh, it's a good place to hang out with, for whether it be networking or they had the uh, Permian Operators Forum, I think, there not too long ago. I was there. But anyway, nice little center there. Is that is that where your guys' office is or do you guys... Just work out of there? We, we, we come in for demo days. Um, in fact, I'm here after this presentation. Um, Axis has something called Site Designer that we use to, to um, calibrate our cameras to different locations. Um, so wow. we're, we're working through some of this stuff with them. They've been great on the technology integration part. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and so it's funny, actually, this must be a Chevron Drilling Alumni Month for me or something, because the last guest I had, uh, she had over about, I think it was around 10 years of Chevron or over at Chevron in a bunch of different drilling worlds. Um, do you know Christine Guerrero? Guerrero? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I had her on uh, last week, actually. And she uh, is, world. She is uh, such a unique uh, individual with lots of experience. And what she's doing now is, is exciting, um, but just a, a ball of energy. <laughs> well, I, I have a lot, of, a lot of fond memories of my time at Chevron. Uh, and, you know, it's a world-class organization obviously um, but the people are honestly what make it make it go yeah they have that human they have that tagline human energy which i always bought into i, I think it's great i think it's a great tagline yeah True. no it is and you know so a lot of people and again oil and gas you know energy in itself uh people i wouldn't say i mean in every industry people bounce around but in, in oil and gas you see people come and go uh, it's a small world. You you may work with someone in some place, and then five years later, they're in a different space, and then all of a sudden, you're working together. And it it, it was really neat. But what I've noticed over time, and, and I've you know been in this since 2004, so I've come across a few people, uh, is is people that end up at Chevron typically stay there for quite a while. I have a, a good friend of mine up in Canada, uh, Jeff Kidd, who's on the completion side. Uh, he worked for Apache, and then he's been with Chevron, and. I went to college with him and I would have never thought he would work for a large company. He, he's one of those sort of against the grain, uh, you know, rule benders, right. if you will, but all for good intent. And um, just the corporate structure, it never struck me as something that aligned with sort of the way he operated. But uh, he's been there for several, no, several years now um, and, and just absolutely loves it. But uh, no, again, I think Chevron's a great company. They represent our industry well, especially here in the U.S., um, and, uh, you know, they're coming off a hot year, which is exciting, just like many. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the, to the U.S. majors continuing to, to make good strides in, in our industry. And it's fascinating to watch them sort of retrench from the overseas approach to a lot more 
let's say America's based. It's interesting, mm-hmm. the risk profile, et cetera. So yeah, uh, a lot more work for us here, which is great. Yeah, it is. I actually, and, and not to deviate, but I, when I was in grad school, I, I wrote a paper on the business strategies comparing the U.S. majors to the European majors, um, and, and, and incorporating, you know, you know, the, the financials and, and sort of really just comparing, you know, where they were uh, and, and where they're at now and, and their futures. And and it was really fascinating. It really gave me a good understanding of, of here in the U.S. You know how well we've done. You know the two, you know, Chevron, Exxon, um, over time, they've performed very well. And uh, so again, lots, lots to look forward to. They're diving into a lot of cool energy verticals. And uh, I always, you know, I've seen some buzz lately, and this is probably just a bunch of headline uh, silliness, but is because of our perform, I say our here in the US or performance is one of them, one of the majors here scooping up one of the majors in Europe. Do you ever see that happening? No, no. No, I, I, I think a, a culture thing would, would basically prevent that. Sure. That'd be the first, that'd be the hardest thing that, you know, it, you, what Noble was, I think the last Chevron that I can remember, I may have lost track and they were, that got on the Israel uh, offshore play, which was a big one. Right. So, you know, strategically maybe, but a small, a small European. Yeah, maybe. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Right. I if it makes sale. Say that again. Sorry. Karen, Karen. Ah, okay. C A I R N. They they're a, they're a pretty uh, innovative, independent um, European base. I can't think they're UK based. Anyway, interesting. Um, yeah, no. I yeah. spent a lot of time overseas, so I hope we could talk a little bit about that. That's kind of where my background started, even as a as a three year old. So really, okay. Well, we're we're gonna touch on that because yeah. I always like to hear the story. But before we do that, I do need to make an announcement to tell everyone about my new sponsor, which is Inflow Control. They're a technology company that helps oil companies improve the efficiency of oil production while reducing the industry's environmental impact with their autonomous inflow control valve technology. This breakthrough technology improves oil production by reducing unwanted gas and water, which enables mature fields to be more profitable by supporting oil production from zones that would have typically been bypassed. This provides oil companies and its stakeholders with lower carbon oil and higher profitability. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or simply check them out on LinkedIn or at inflowcontrol.no. So Calvin, I mean, we, we started getting into it. Um, you said you your journey starts way back when you were three years old overseas. I mean, are, are you one of those stories where you were with your dad on a drilling rig when you were three or, or I mean, what, what, what does this look like? <laughs> um, my dad, uh, he likes to tell the story how he, um, it took him three attempts to join Slumberjay as a wireline logging uh, uh, engineer, 1960 something. Um, and he eventually got success. And after a couple of hurricanes in Houma, Louisiana, based out of, I was born in Buras. Mm. Mom and dad said, there's gotta be a better place to go. Um, opened up the Slumberjay employee handbook and saw the location coefficient for Libya and said, that's where we wanna go. So wow. that was 1965, and it was uh, you know almost 15 years of overseas duty. Um, it was great. It was yeah. great. What was your What's your fondest memory of being over there? Well, uh, my biggest memory. I don't know if it. Well, I have a lot of memories of Libya. Uh, I guess from three to six, we we had to leave because of Gaddafi in '69. Mm. So I remember I remember uh, Wheeler Air Force Base um, being emergency evacuated there, waiting to 
to fly to France, to France is where they took us. So that was a, that's a vivid memory. Um, no kidding. I remember the pizza too. The, the, <laughs> the Italians had Libya for a while. So the, the pizza was really good. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what's pizza choice? What is it? Oh, it's gotta be, uh, I call it Diavolo. It's the sort of a spicy meat. Ah. Uh, the other one that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll recommend um, is tuna and onion, tuna e cipolla. And that's a weird one, but that I met my wife in Italy and she introduced me to that. So uh, okay. those are my two favorite pizzas. Well, I have a, I have a soft spot for tuna um, as a yeah. roughneck when we were, we were, uh, <laughs> and here's why uh, I was getting a $25 a day per diem. <laughs> and uh so i would find the cheapest food i could eat obviously because i want to pocket if i could you know 10 15 bucks so i ate uh tuna and hot dog buns for uh quite a it's quite a long kid. time yeah and and uh, you know to this day if i don't have lunch with a client i got cans of tuna at the office and uh you know knock it back it doesn't uh it doesn't fill me up to a point where i need to go to sleep but it fills me up enough to to keep going so i love and of course i love tuna fresh off the boat too i mean whether it be in a can or you know yeah. uh, off the keys of florida i'm i'm in i'm with you i didn't actually know there was any other kind of tuna <laughs> until i went to italy and it got introduced to that and i was like wow i'm you know so yeah uh, i'm with you though i i uh I was a, I guess I broke out as a, I, I did roughnecking and clean and cleaner painter work. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the star kiss, bring your own lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, salad dressing. I think you need, what was it? The uh, whip, whip. See, um, oh, what's the mayonnaise? Miracle whip. Miracle, Miracle whip. whip. Yeah. 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 You slop some Miracle whip on some tuna. That's a delicacy, <laughs> man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, so again, you, you know, obviously you've, you've been all over the world. Um, how did you get started in, in energy and in oil and gas? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it seems like it's, you know, kind of was part of your, your, I guess, family, uh, orientation, but yeah, I'm curious how you got into it and then how you ended up getting into the drilling space. And if that was a passion or kind of just happened to be, I mean, tell us the story. Sure. there. Well, okay. So dad was slumber Jay, um, but dad, uh, family history there is Oklahoma sooner that's the Oklahoma side so uh -huh. oil and gas and and you know I guess entrepreneurial ships always kind of been there my brother's uh my younger brother um Garrett he's also in the oil field he's up in Calgary too with uh, -huh. uh with a fairly large uh independent um I I in high school so they we're talking 1980 right you take your aptitude test you you had your selective service that maybe you were going to get drafted kind of thing and I, I, I can honestly say the only real uh, deviation in my career path from oil and gas would have been uh, military, Air Force. Um, I like to fly. I, I, I've done some flying, but no, it was always oil and gas. I think the, the, the money and the international lifestyle um, and just the sheer dynamic nature of it, um, mm. just part of my personality, I enjoyed. I uh, changed a lot of jobs within, you know, within the same company always on the technology side. Yeah. Um, at, at school, um, I went to Montana Tech. Um, I, I couldn't handle reservoir. I didn't have the, the, the aptitude to do the reservoir engineering. It was too, too black arty for me. Yeah. Um, drilling always, drilling just seemed something that I could put my hands. I'm a very visual person. So the drilling part I liked. Yeah. No, I can identify with you. I, uh, 
you know, in school and stuff, reservoir uh, engineering and geology is, is far too abstract and, and too many lofty assumptions. And I was never good at art either. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I found that, you know, it just, again, similarly to you, I found, you know, being, you know, being on a rig and, and understanding drilling operations, I could tie that into, you know, well, now I'm in the drilling fluids world, but uh, I, I can very much identify sort of, sort of with you, you on that. Um, and so spending, again, you, you've spent, I mean, you went through several ups and downs, several, you know, cycles, ups, downs, you name it, um, being exposed to that stuff. And now we're in this, however you want to label it, any transition, you know, energy expansion, whatever you want to call it, depending on what headline you read. But at the end of the day, there's, there's incentive to, to sort of, to, there's incentive to try and get away from fossil fuels, right? Sure. And, you know, in, in, in a debatable topic, of course, but the reality is energy demand is there. Global oil demand, I don't suspect has peaked if it's, if it's going to happen soon, so be it. But I'm curious from your perspective, um, do you have any core beliefs around energy that you've changed your mind on over the last few years? Does, does anything kind of resonate with you there? Well, it's pretty deep, huh? Um, I... I don't think the fundamental physics have, have changed. I, 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 I believe that, that the media has, has floated this, this balloon about, about the pending climate crisis that a lot of, you know, a lot of people um, have, have bought into. And I, I'm not smart enough to know if they're right or wrong. Um, I just know from, let's say, an engineer's point of view, we have to be practical and we have to plan a transition. I, I, I mean, you can't doubt that we pollute, there's no doubt, but for the greater good of things. And so mm -hmm. balancing that greater good versus this, this very nebulous calculation that, that somehow we are changing the earth in real time to, to catastrophe, uh, catastrophic, excuse me, effect, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. So, sure. but at the same time, um, you know, we, I, I'm client focused and, and that that's what their shareholders are. So um, we, I firmly, you know, believe that our industry is so important to mankind, we need to make it uh, acceptable to mankind. Um, and so I want to make it sustainable. And, and that's kind of what our, one of our, I guess, core principles is that we want, um, we, we can be so much more efficient at drilling, as you well know, Justin. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, that could be a whole nother discussion, which would probably be more negative than positive. So sure. it's keep a positive face on it. And that's what we're trying to do is to bring, is to bring solutions that, that our, our community can, can try to make them more efficient. Right. And, and that was kind of the, the leading into this is, is why I brought that up. And, and mainly because obviously if someone like yourself is saying, well, no, you know, where this is exactly true and we need to get away from it. Clearly you've, you've got a, a passion and sort of a, let's call it a bullish outlook on on you know the drilling activity because that's that's you know everything that you guys are doing over at drill docs is, is based around drilling and and so um you know I, i'm curious and we'll get into to what you're doing but through your time in the drilling space and, and kind of looking forward are there any trends so on a macro level that you're seeing in drilling uh that that really excite you as we move forward into getting out of this I, I, well, going into, in, in my opinion, a pretty good long bull cycle and lots of activity coming in the pipe down the pipeline. Sure. Um, well, you know, you're you're sort of a scout for technology, and 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 as much grief as our industry gets for being sort of 
latecomers to it, which is not all not all you know unjust. Um, I'm 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 active on, in SPE's drilling uh, systems automation technical section. So you know the whole idea of digitalization and automating the drilling and completion practices, um, I think we all recognize um, can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but any you know my whole career, Justin's been pretty much trying to get uh, develop and implement emerging technology. Um, in the early days, it was single trip whipstocks way back when, when, when Weatherford was, was pioneering that. Um, and, you know, now sort of MPD is, is now managed pressure drilling is, is a fairly household world now. The deep water drillers are finally, in, you know, enabling their rigs to do that. Five, seven years ago, it was still a hard, hard sell. So we, when we show it, we, we do it. And so if we can show the value, it, it eventually comes around and that takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, automation for the sake of automation. Um, you know, that's always a double-edged sword, but I, I do believe that's where we're going. Yeah, no, it's, that's a, that's a challenging discussion that we have within our organization is, is, you know, how much effort and resources to put into drilling fluid automation uh and, and, you know and again this, this is you know you're you're tied into this world now um which which kind of it, it sort of makes me beg the question and you know you've spent lots of years in the drilling world exposed to so many different parts of the drilling operation uh you know i would say directional has has, has come a long way and have they've really made leaps and bounds and then you know just uh, you know drilling the drilling contractor world all these sensors and you know, you can track so many things real time. Um, for you, Calvin, why tackle hole cleaning and wellbore stability as your core problem? Because it was a personal pain point. Um, <laughs> okay. I have, the, I have the classic, okay, why would you invest in drill docks? You know, does the, does the, does the domain expert or the founder have any experience in it? And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, um, I did to the tune of, you know, tens of millions of dollars, our business unit suffered because of, of frankly, wellbore instability, yeah. which turns into a hole cleaning problem. So yeah, I've got, I've got that. And it was one of those, because of my background sort of, in sort of emerging technologies, I was a bit incredulous that we hadn't come to the idea that computer vision could be something that, that we could try. Just, you know, the poor shell shakers, as you well know, are, are, you know, the word commodity is actually a compliment to them because they're called a a lot worse. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And so Calvin, to to educate the audience, because I've got folks from all walks of whether it be oil and gas or even energy, can can you sort of, uh, sort of give an outline as to, you know, because we talk shakers. And so would you mind just describing as you're drilling, you know, how that sort of the, that cycle works of, of pumping fluid down, it comes up, you've got rocks and then, and then where, where you guys kind of fit into that, um, you know, circulation, if you will. Okay. Well, um, so you're right. Is, is the rocks are coming out um, with, in, with the fluid, the drilling mud, we've got really sort of three things we're, we're looking for the fluid itself. And then we, we can just divide the rocks into two categories, cuttings, which the derived by the bit, and the bad actors are the cavings, which which the hole is giving us, and we don't want them to. So, um, look at it as sort of facial recognition for for rocks coming across the the shaker 
to determine the volume, the size, and the shape. And with those with those data points, we can inform the drilling team uh, how you know is the hole being cleaned to their models, to their model expectation, or 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 not. And same for the geomex, is there is their windows uh, mud window pressure profile windows accurate? Mm-hmm. So how would you describe the traditional or I guess existing way of analyzing that and, and put yourself in say, call it a, you know, whether from the operator's perspective, as a, as a mud guy I can, you know, obviously allude to it, but I'm curious from, from an operator's perspective, huh. when, when, when they're look, when they're either watching pace on or you know, on-site representatives, you know, there at the rig site, watching all this stuff happen, how, how does it typically happen? And then how would you like, or how are you guys essentially creating a better way of doing that that's a that question can go from from both extremes justin as you well know depending on where you are but of course you said the operator which is intriguing because you know there's the remote center operator and you they might have some models that are working on cuttings bad height and and modeling that i would say i would offer that nine times out of ten anybody on the rig floor uh, company man don't have access to that um and the ones that do um i'm not sure they actually use it to make any any hard decisions without support from a remote center so um it's a difficult question i think i think from my time on the in the field um we rely on the driller and his his overpulls you know is he seeing any trend per se we we rely on the torque and drag as our primary wind vane to yeah. tell us how things are going um there are so there has been obviously technology from the mud logging side with the cuttings volume meters trying to, to determine the mass and, and they've had some success but the the issue that I see is 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 frankly the expense and the 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 accuracy equation or or balance it's very expensive and what from what I've seen it's it's the accuracy isn't so outstanding that that makes it mandatory on even deep water rigs. Right, right. Well, and, and so for the, you know, for the audience that's trying to picture all this happening, I mean, and, and again, I'll put myself on my side of the fence here. And, and as, a, as a service yeah. provider in, in, in the drilling fluids world, a lot of times a mud engineer, um, you know, he, he or she might be out on, on the, the rig shaker or by the rig shakers watching fluid and cuttings come across. And oftentimes, you know, you may stand there after, you know, you're circulating, and you'll identify again just the characteristics of the of the cuttings coming across, and what what that can ultimately tell you is what's happening downhole, and and then you can adjust accordingly. Um, but 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 it, this is not for like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. This is not being looked at real time, or it's not being looked at uh, on a continuous basis. It might be spot checked. It might be you might have a camera that shows the shakers, but you're not able to really identify unless you're at, everything's just completely unloading and you've got fluid flying all over the place. But in, you know, normal drilling operations, you, a lot of times you really can't identify something until you start seeing it on surface, whether like you said, you're torquing up or you start seeing a bunch of pressure spikes or, you know, there, there's other things that are saying, Hey, there's now a problem. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well, we better evaluate and, and, and look. And then all of a sudden you're looking back at whether again, pace on or whoever's data and saying, ah, we didn't notice this was happening, but if you look over time, we've noticed, you know, our, our torque sort of in, increasing more than it should have. But this is a very unique solution to to all that because a you're you're being able to visualize and and characterize cuttings on a continuous basis. Like anytime you're circulating and, and drilling and pumping, 
you, you're able to to watch and, and analyze what's coming over the shakers. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's really really well summed up, Justin. I think I think the one of the one of the attractions that we see from the drilling engineers is to be able to go back and look at the video and the trends that we that we the data traces and try to correlate that to problems that that you know this is obviously in a look back feature, um, but now you've got a full time uh, whole section of complete surveillance of that of the shaker and what came across. Um, the I guess the main the main point we're trying to bring across is a qualitative and a quantitative data trace at the shaker. So I, I, I'm not sure I answered your question the way. No, no, it's, I mean, really, yeah, it's just, just really conversational, just trying to give it sort of an idea as, as, as how impactful this could be. And so let, let's, let's equate this into value and, and perhaps, you know, uh, you know, sort of the, the, not necessarily then dollar values, but just the overall sure. spend, if, if you're drilling along and cause ultimately you're, you're trying to increase uh wellbore stability. And for those out there, and again, Calvin, you know, feel free to jump in. But if you're drilling along and, and you start having issues downhole, and all of a sudden you get stuck, meaning you can't move the pipe up or down, um, that can result in you know tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, especially if you lose uh, your your drilling BHA downhole. And so, you know, Calvin, for you, is is this is this a a way to prevent stuff like that, or can you actually make sort of real time? decisions to help improve drilling uh say rop and you know hopefully uh, trip times and and all the rest of it i mean can, can you kind of give an idea is this like oh we're yeah. just doing this to prevent or we're actually improving drilling efficiencies no that's a great question because <clears throat> trying to sell preventive medicine in our industry is very difficult because it's the classic refrain well it never happens here <laughs> I get that all the time. Yeah, it's sure everybody everybody encounters that. Fortunately, we've got insurance companies that have to um, insure these BHAs, and uh, so shout out to, to Chris Webb and Transpac. Might be an interesting conversation for you. Um, okay. He doesn't go into the dirty laundry about how it happened, but the point is, it's close to a billion here in the U.S. of lost wells. Um, so a U.S. land well, just I mean, for drilling is in the two to three million dollar range, and 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 an offshore well, deep water is a, over a hundred million. Mm -hmm. So we like we like to say that that we're trying to save minutes, you know, with with our with our solution. We call it clean site, and we're saying, hey, for you know, all it's got to do is save you a couple of minutes. And where can we save a couple of minutes? So going to your question about sort of real time drilling optimization, the big one for me is is uh, is circulation times, mm. right? So what probably what gets sort of stuck in my craw are all these posters about bragging rights about their awesome ROPs and these sections that they drilled so fast, you know, and great bit design and, you know, respect to them, right? It's a competitive world and I get it, but, but nobody, and this is probably a difference with the Canadian operation, we don't get to know how long it took them to trip out of the hole, run back in, and did they actually get casing to bottom and, and not lose any reservoir section? We don't get that part. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so on the and the abundance of caution, the industry will circulate, you know, ad nauseum, three or four tech, you know, we're just going to keep circulating until we think it's clean. So besides the waste of money there, there's a lot of emissions. So if you really want to try to improve your emission reduction, you're going to make a very concerted effort to optimize those circulation times. So that's that's where we want to try to help out on the overall ROP besides mm -hmm. Preventing a, a you know a train wreck by by hole collapse with a caving. Yeah, 
No, that's actually, that's, that's really fascinating. I, I, my, my mind didn't quite go there right away is, you know, again, to your point, we're drilling two mile laterals faster than we ever have. And, but it's funny because yeah, you, you, like a directional company and, and everyone on, on, you know, on the rig are giving high fives because they drilled a record lateral, but yet you're circulating, you know, four five, six, seven bottoms up. Maybe, you know, there's some operators that'll drill circulate for two days, you know, like right. after drilling an ERD well, which again, it's for them, it makes sense. And yeah. it's, it's, it's because they maybe don't have quite the data. And, you know, I know in a big shout out to KM technologies, they've come out with, you know, they're, I've seen stuff from them that, that you can plug in your, your well profile and everything. And then it gives you suggested circulating yep. times. Cause ultimately you're trying to reduce that as much as possible, but there's that fine line of, well, do we circulate an extra hour to make sure the hole's clean or do we just yank it? And that's a million dollar question oftentimes. And, and no one wants to be the one to say, yeah, let's yank it. And then next thing you know, you're planted halfway through the lateral because you can't get Well, you're hole. just pumping out a hole, Justin. You just, the, it's becoming normal now just to pump out, you know, back ream or yes. ream out of the hole, pump out a hole. So, sure. and that takes a very long time. It, it does. And, and, you know, again, you touched on a very good point is, while a lot of operators are, are making tons of effort to reduce scope one emissions, I, you know, at the rig site and, you know, now we've got, you know, EFRAC and, and everything else. Yeah. If, if you were to, let's say you've got a, and I mean, you know, Chevron's notorious for having a, a large rig fleet because you're drilling a ton of wells, completing a bunch of wells, you know, let's say you're saving 20 minutes of circulating time across the fleet. You extrapolate that over the order of the course of a full drilling campaign how much carbon is associated with reducing that amount of circulating time in a month? It might not be much, but you extrapolate that over the course of say five years over the entire fleet. That's a lot of emissions that you could save. And then, you know, tie that back into, I mean, you know, everyone talks about economics, the economics as well. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating. And a lot of times people have a hard time looking at the big picture. All they see is, well, how much does this cost me? And what's the day rate on this? And, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 quite a bit. Um, so I guess how do you how do you sort of counter that uh, objection? And because I would imagine that always comes down to well, how much does this cost? Well, that's a good point. Um, it the way we've tackled it specifically is we have this. At the end of the day, it's called early adopter pricing, and and we we we've we've been very successful. Uh, you know, to give the operators their due, they, they're very intrigued about the idea. And, you know, to your audience, we, we need to sort of put the disclaimer that we're at, we're at the proof of concept stage. We've passed that now. And now we're going to field trials to where oh, we cool. want to deliver the data um, to a drilling team so that they can, they can basically prove it up. And we can write case histories about we can, how we can do all these things, which we've, which we've described. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, it's really a mindset on the operator side that, that they can they can see that we have some that that really want to uh, to do some road mapping and ideation type programs with us to see where this technology can can go down the road, which is exciting to see folks that that have you know coming at the end of the day. I'm a I'm a big believer in a team building because we need different points of view. I didn't right. believe that until I was about 38. I thought I was you know I knew it all and and. Uh, was going to be the CEO and a million bucks a year by 30 kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Finally, finally matured as my wife would like to say. Right. Still got, still got some improvement opportunities. Hey, once the improvement stops, it's over, man. You got to give yourself <laughs> something to look forward to, right? 
to get out of bed. Okay, what? How can I improve today? Yeah, exactly. No, it's funny. I always told my dad because I never knew what I wanted to do when I when I grew up, and I still feel like I don't. But I always said I want to retire by thirty, and he said, "Well, you're going to be pretty bored for the, for you know in the next forty or fifty years, so you better right. find someone something you love doing." Um, you know, which I I believe I've I've found you know most of that, but it's uh yeah that, that constant you know w- you know that that constant push to improve um and really just getting over this oh well we've done this for so long and this is how you know this is it's working um i think that that culture shift is changing you know especially since you know i would say since the most recent downturn through my experience in, in dealing with different operators drilling engineers and managers primarily uh there, there's a there's a willingness to work together better yeah. than than in the past it was almost like again through my experience is it's the service companies were at the mercy of the operators and you know without the operators we were no longer in business well now the sort of the sort of the mindset from my experience is hey let's work together we've helped survive some of the most chaotic times in history um we do value you as a partner and and all our service companies we do want to make sure they stay in business and we don't want to rake them over the coals when, you know, when we've, when an oil drops six bucks, we're not coming for concessions uh, right away or bidding out the work. And so that, and I get, I say all that to say is like, I think there's a lot more initiative to work together to overcome a lot of these challenges, because at the end of the day, like we sort of talked about in the beginning is there's a lot of pressure uh, on the oil and gas space to, to just do better and not necessarily drill faster wells, but, um, you know, just, just gain the confidence and of not only the investment community, but just, you know, the general population, uh, as a whole. And so, uh, again, yeah. to, to get better on all facets, uh, I think it's going to take things like technology, you know, and, and AI mm-hmm. is a big one right now. Um, and then talent, right? Like, uh, you know, again, it's for us is like, we're going to these you know, we're having to really expand our radius with regards to talent acquisition because for a long time people were knocking on our door to come work and now you know we still have a lot of people wanting to come work for us as a company but we're competing with you know the now arguably right now is not a good time because technology companies are laying people off left right and center but uh you know in general a lot of people are looking to get into other industries and so if we want the best of the best we have to start attracting people and come work for cool companies like drill docs and, you know, a lot of these other great technology and, and service companies that, that still exist today. And so um, again, I, I just think what you guys are doing is, is fascinating. Um, and, and so to, to, to add to that, I am coming in with a question here is, so when you, when you guys are going to talk to um, companies, are you looking at partnering with like drilling contractors or who, who all like would this stuff would be, like, who do you essentially work for? I mean, obviously, ultimately work for the operator, but is this going to be something that you guys are working with service companies or operators or how do, how do you kind of right. work? Well, we're, we're uh, I, w- I want to come back to your earlier remark um, because I think we need to talk about safety and competency in the industry. But to answer your question right okay. now, um, our client is the, is the operator. They, they're the ones that, that, that benefit the most. Um, right. So, but what's interesting is, you know, one of the largest uh, drilling contractors is is coming out with, uh, I forgot the exact term, but performance-based contracts out or something about output. I forgot the exact uh, deal. It's just coming out recently. Okay. I think it's a new version of turnkey drilling. 
um, which which I always uh, never understood why we it wasn't more popular. Um, I mean, I understood why because they failed at it and it was expensive and <laughs> they they went out of business. But, right, right, yeah. You know, um, it's interesting that that the operators can do part and the drilling contractors can do part, but nobody can do it together except maybe Southwestern. I noticed they run their own rigs, and in fact, I you know shout out to them. They helped us get started with our initial uh, proof of concept that we went out and bootstrapped on. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, the, shout out to them. Um, so I think that's really our, our client. Now we are talking with partnerships um, with, with our distribution. We are, we like to think of ourselves as a SaaS company, not a service company, but we have a camera. And so um, we do have a hardware component that we have to take care of and maintain. But if you're asking long-term, are we going to be, you know, 300 employees going out um, like K&M style, hole cleaning, wellbore stability with our camera? I don't really think that's where we need to go. It's kind of redundant. We want, really want to enable the, those folks, the mud loggers, the K&Ms of the world, the driller, giving them this unique data that they can go take away and, and put in their own sort of uh, infrastructure and workflow processes to make, to make it optimal. Yeah, makes sense. Are you guys, is, is there a discussion? I know you, you said you're sort of where you're at uh, in the life cycle of, of, of deploying this, but do you ever have discussions about monitoring other uh, things within the fluid system or are you just sure. strictly focusing on just cuttings? Well, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wannabe entrepreneur. So I, this would be my third, third uh, go at it. Um, first one was, you could call it a success. I'd give myself sort of a C plus. Uh, the second time around was a, it was an F. And so here I am again. And so what I've learned, Justin, is that I got to be very focused on one thing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with my colors red over red over yellow, I'm a very visual, strategic person. And so I, I naturally want to just take have it all done now. <laughs> and all is a really big basket. So yeah. we are very focused at the shaker for cuttings characterization, you know, autonomously. But obviously, we see the fluid. Um, we see a lot of a lot of interesting things that can be done at that initial exit point of everything that the whole driller has been doing. So and, mm -hmm. and consolidating that and and making more automation through it. I think I think uh, well, you, you know what I'm talking. About. I'm sure AES is thinking about the same kind of things. Um, in fact, it'd be interesting to, to maybe talk to, to you guys about, about that, what we could do. So we are talking to different, um, service companies about that, but some of it's, it's still early days. You know, if you don't have a patent, then, you know, nobody wants to talk to you. Um, certainly investors don't. So fortunately sure. that's some good, some good patent, uh, good patent team. And so some yep. good, uh, no, that's. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's, I, I, and I made a post about this on LinkedIn not too long ago. And I, I said, you know, part of the success, uh, you know, in the future for oil field services, whether that be SAS or anyone servicing the well, you know what I mean? Is, is yeah. that it, there, it's going to require some strategic partnerships, um, leveraging each other's talent, technology uh, to come together. And, and you're starting to see it a little bit. Um, but again, for so long, we've been, you know, kind of to give us our competitive competitive advantage. We're not telling everyone our secrets and we're oh. going to come to your location. We're going to do our job and then we're going to leave and no one's going to know what we did, except for we're going to tell everyone how we drilled a record. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, 
We need to come that, together. That's a bit of a different mindset from the, I think, the Canadian side, right? Because the government mandated all of this information to be shared. Yeah. And I remember from my underbalanced drilling days, we were able to get really good reservoir, a characterization type information that allowed us to, to do that kind of work to qualify these these candidate wells which you could never get in the states that would you know they'd shoot you before they share <laughs> yeah no that's true it's so funny story when i when i started with the ces which is the company that is owns aes i uh i started off as a tech and part of my job was to go through drilling reports and do offset reviews for okay. uh, operators that were drilling in an area and so i'd I'd be downtown, I'd hop on the C train, which is a you know, public transit. And I would go and I would, I would go to the OGC, the Alberta Oil and Gas Commission, and I would pull 10, 15 uh, offset wells and, and they would come out with these stacks of IEDC reports and I would go photocopy them all and, and then take this another big stack back to the office and go through every day's wow. drilling reports. And and I say all that not to oh look at me, but the, the point I'm making is is yeah. I could I could look at a I could look at a target location, I could do a five mile radius, and any single well that was drilled, regardless of who it was, um, unless it was maybe like a province well for some some science stuff, but 99.9 percent .9 of the time, I could get all the well information and do a, a sound offset review to give to the operator, to which then. They knew who the well was drilled by, any occurrences that happened at which depths. I mean, I could I could literally see the whole fingerprint of that well coming down here. Um, it was like you had to talk to so and so who might know so and so who might be able to get you a drill record, drill bit record. And I'm like, what no, do you mean? it's behind a it's behind a big paywall, Justin. It, they there's yeah. these. It used to be Rushmore. Uh, IHS has this stuff where yeah. the operators will get together and the, so they'll talk to each other about performance and you know we want to be in the upper 25 percent quartile things like that uh and they and, and i was part of that when it's chevron days um on the offshore side where we would share lessons learned and and there was some catastrophic stuff which helped you know help share how not to do that but my 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 big bug is until the industry shares this kind of npt stuff uh non-productive time it and and make it more public i don't really think they're that serious as an industry to to be to become as efficient as they can because they're not enabling the service contractors the way they could. Yeah, no, the access to information is is critical, and and so you know I, I don't know at what point that'll turn if if any, um, but I, I think again I think it'll just take service companies willing to share their information perhaps and come together. Um, and and so what that looks like I don't know, but it is a challenge. And and again it's interesting because a lot of the people that I talk to agree that this is a problem. Um, and are willing to step out and say, yeah, you know, I would be willing to share my information, but would you, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know if people would put their money where their mouth is a lot of times. The I, I, I think our, our, our capitalist system, our competitive system just precludes from that happening. And, and unfortunately we have to be regulated to, mm. to make things like that happen. And I mean, what we've seen on the ESG side with the SEC coming in, you know, yeah. they, they want us to report our emissions, but they're not asking us to report our non-productive time and all the all the, let's say, foobars that we do out there. Um, <laughs> right. And if they were again, if they were really serious about it, they'd take a, a harder look at how how efficient is the industry and right. what do you what are you as an industry doing about it right. to become truly sustainable? Well, maybe we just don't have the right people in those positions of power. Well, it's generation, right? It's generational. 
um, you know, guys like you are, are going to be the ones and this kind of podcast kind of brings it out. And eventually younger, the younger, I'm always, I'm an internal optimist. I think we will get better. We always get better. Yeah. It's just some people take it slow and, you know, that's, that's look at SpaceX. I mean, my goodness, you know, why can't we be like SpaceX for, for drilling? What, why can't we have folks thinking like that? And for some that's- of the big stuff. Yeah. Well, well, Elon, if you're listening, uh, you know, when you have SpaceX drilling division, I actually, I forget who I was talking to someone on the directional side. I said, you need to reach out to Tesla and figure out if they can get you a long lasting battery. Cause God forbid the battery life is, is getting low and you've got 68 feet to drill. Right. <laughs> you, you need to get there and your battery dies. Uh, I said, man, you know, think about that, you know, so-and-so motors powered by Tesla, uh, next, you know what I mean? I don't know, but uh, we don't we don't have a Tesla of the drilling world. Um, maybe you can fill those boots, Calvin. I don't know, but uh, hopefully someone steps up to the plate here and and and. Well, we used to right back in the day when we first went offshore, and you know Kerr McGee. I mean, yeah. there's some there's some cutting edge stuff that we've done. It's just lately we seem to have kind of I don't know gotten a rut. Maybe digitalization is going to be that, but do do you do you suspect it's perhaps due to the cyclical nature of the industry and, and people are, and, and we just lack the investment and, and long-term thinking because we're measured, you know, a lot, let's, you know, call it publicly trading companies every 90 days on our, on our financials, but then, you know, they know three to four years that there's going to be a downturn. So then it's like, well, why would we invest so much for the future? Why don't we invest right now for like the most immediate return on invested capital? Because in six years, we may be all these rigs that we're, trialing all this fancy stuff on is are going to be laid down in the weeds somewhere. You know, do, do you think that has part of it? Well, it's our boom bust cycle, right? Um, it's, it's uh, when, when people recognize an opportunity, our system goes out there and it's, it's hell bent to get it happen. You know, come hell or high water, the consequences after. Um, I think, I think as we become a, are we a sunset industry? Some people would say so. I, I think it's a bit too early to say that, but we certainly are a lot more mature. And it's like, 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 a, like any person, we, we get, we're finally getting smart about how we spend our money. Um, I, I think, and that's where, again, the, this, we've learned that. You guys went through that you know, in a hard way. I, went, I did too. Um, I, I've got a good maybe you know, 10 years left to, to really contribute to the industry. Um, where all the younger ones that went through, they're going to remember this. And mm-hmm. so I think we will be more socially responsible and fiscally responsible. So I think yeah. it's good for us. We, we learn from it. We're, we're not, we're smart. We, we pick it up. Yep. No, we I'm with you. Mistake too many times. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Calvin, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but uh, before we close out, I do like to end uh, with some more, some stuff on the personal side of things. Um, You know, you seem pretty adventurous. You've traveled overseas and stuff like that, but I mean, what's something about yourself that, that not many people know about? I mean, do you have any sort of unique hobbies or when you're not though, if if you got to go, that's fine. But anything, anything unique that you'd like to release to the podcast world here? I mean, what you talked about those, food. I mean, well, it's, uh, well, I guess I, as much as I said, I've loved the industry. It, it's meant a lot to me um, besides just growing up in it with, with the parents and the wonderful time we had, we were quite privileged and I was able to just keep going with it. And uh, it brought me to Italy where um, I met my wife who's trying to teach me Italian and is still failing miserably. I'm her work <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> My son was born there, so um, I have a I have a big love for for Italy, and uh, 
it's uh, they have a good job. They do a good job of work-life balance. Mm. Uh, so I would recommend everybody needs to go to Italy at least once. Some people don't like it. I get it. You know, it's a different place, but uh, it's a big part of my life. Well, my wife and I were privileged uh, to go to Rome and had an absolute amazing time. I filled my belly with the most as much pasta as I possibly could, but it was just amazing. Uh, the culture, the people. Um, again, I, I would second that. It's it's such a unique place, and I'd love to explore it more. Um, but with that said, Calvin, appreciate everything. Uh, what's the best way for folks to reach out uh, to get to know more about Drill Docs, or even if they want to connect with you, and if they have some some questions regarding uh, anything we talked about today? And I'll put your link in the show notes. But is there any place that people can reach out? I think I think LinkedIn is probably the best the best part. I pretty much accept anybody that's got oil and gas in there in their profile. So be happy okay. to chat. Um, awesome. So thanks for the opportunity. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or getting started. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Peace.